Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 148, Why Do People Keep Putting Me in Charge of Things? This week, we're discussing season one, episode three of Battlestar Galactica, Bastille Day, and season two, episode 22 of Angel, There's No Place Like Plurt's Glurb. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Sorry. <laughs> There's just something about you saying Plurt's Glurb that I found really... Just- so amazed that I got through that. Um, I know I, you, you got through it, and then I almost couldn't even read my standard like boilerplate part. Uh, that's funny. And like I, I almost like you have that thing where like your mouth is moving, but your brain is like thinking something totally separate. Like <laughs> sure. uh, about halfway through, I thought like I don't even know how this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So we've made it this far. We might as well go on. Um, okay. Bastille Day. Yeah, I'm not re-recording that. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, Bastille Day. Um, You had uh, a few production notes, I think. I do. I'll be quick. Um, Okay, so I wanted to mention this is the first non-Ron Moore writer that we have. Mm. Uh, Her name is Toni Graffia. Um, And so uh, it seems like she was involved as like a writer and producer in, in seasons one and two. Um, and kind of produces pretty much all of those first two seasons. Um, and she also has two more episodes that are credited to her as, as the writer. So, you know, um, has a fair amount, uh, you know, to her credit. Um, and actually I was looking through her IMDb and she's worked on a bunch of other shows, but notably she's currently writing for Outlander, which is Ron Moore's current show. So it seems like even though she didn't stay with BSG through its whole run, they still have collaboration sort of going forward, which is good to see. Mm. Um, And, okay, so I also wanted to mention another big behind-the-scenes person who is Richard Hatch, who plays Tom Zarek. Um, And you can probably speak to this a little bit more, having seen the original series, uh, but he played Apollo, uh, So I find this really interesting because we get the introduction of, you know, this character, Tom Zarek, played by Richard Hatch, but really this is an episode kind of all about Apollo and what Apollo means and who Lee is as a person and sort of his decisions and everything um, and the different ideas that he has to try to reconcile. So I kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure going forward, um, I think we can maybe think about what ways like Zarek and Apollo keep being sort of connected or not. Um, but at least in this episode, I think it's really interesting that in the first big like Lee episode, you have Richard Hatch sort of hanging around as this kind of antagonistic figure and everything. Sure. Um, sure. And, you know, just worth mentioning too, that he was super involved in kind of the, the, original series fandom as a fan himself, as well as one of the actors in it and was involved in all of the different attempts to get it revived and Mm -hmm. rebooted over the years. So he was kind of resistant, I think kind of as more the representative of that, uh, original, uh, sort of fandom, um, you know, wasn't necessarily that interested in this new series, but, um, 
from kind of reading a couple different, you know, uh, interviews and stuff, it seems like after seeing the quality of what they did with the miniseries and then meeting with Ron Moore, he was sort of persuaded to, you know, come around and not be quite so resistant to the idea of a reboot that wasn't like a strict continuation of the story. Um, which is probably more what he, that's probably more what he had in mind when he was thinking of like revivals and stuff. Um, but then, you know, obviously he must've come around to a certain extent if he agreed to be involved in it. So, um, you know, this is sort of their way of, uh, I guess making that peace offering with the kind of original series fans is sort of involving him, I think, in the story and the production and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, kind of an interesting, uh, figure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and as far as, I mean, I don't know that I have much to say about him in the original series. Um, it's, it's kind of like one of those things, like, did you ever see, uh, like in the movie hook, right? Uh, mm-hmm. where you have that scene where that you ha- you have the little lost boy who's like mm-hmm. messing around with Robin's Williams face and then he goes <laughs> oh there you are Peter like um, when he smooths all the wrinkles yeah, away and, I, yeah. I kind of feel like that's the difference between original BSG Richard Hatch and <laughs> and sure. this iteration um, I sure. don't mean <laughs> I mean I just, just that they look different enough that like yeah, you're yeah. not sitting right. you're there not, like, thinking by it yeah, I mean, you know, he's recognizable. Like, if, you, if you've if you seen him in both things, you're like, okay, yeah, I can see that's the same person. But but there's enough of a difference in, in the look mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're not, it, it's not, it, you know, it's like with some actors, uh, you know, no matter what era, like, they are acting in, like, they just yeah. look and act the same. I don't feel like that way. It, right. Like it was that way with this. Um, also, the the writing and the production value and all that was so different right. back right. then too. Right, that, and the characters are so different. Yeah, too, the characters are different. So I mean, you know, like I feel like the two shows are different enough that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily get as much maybe overlap as as you might think. But um, yeah, I, you know, I also, I mean, I've only seen except for the you know, few episodes we've watched here for the podcast, like I've only seen each show once too. So I don't mm-hmm. know that I know both of them well enough to right. sort of comment on that either. But anyway, right. that's, right. that's just sort of my assessment. Like I actually remember when watching, um, cause I watched the original BSG after I watched this, mm-hmm. you know, 2003, 2004 reboot. Um, and I almost had to keep reminding myself, like throughout the series, like, oh yeah, that's like Tom's Eric, right? right like right. It, 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 it didn't like quite come as natural as you might think otherwise. Sure, sure. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, Robin Wright in The Princess Bride versus you know House of Cards. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, like right. you just don't think of them right. as the same person even though right. obviously they right. are so right um right separated by enough time and distance and given like different enough stories and a versatile enough actor you can actually kind of just forget um yeah yeah and it's not like there's huge like makeup effects or anything i think it's no, just and you just put someone in a different setting and 
devoid of that context, it's just, you know, I mean, that's what acting is about, you know? Right. So, um, right. you right. know, separating and, yourself from those kind of associations and everything. And yeah, again, like you can look at them and, and recognize that they are the same person at different, you know, times of their lives or whatever, but it's not, you know, it's not like front and center as, you know, it is right. with like some people. Right, right. Um, anyway. Cool. Well, so where did you want to start in talking about the episode? Yeah. So, you know, I feel like there's going to be a recurring thing where, you know, given the number of characters you're dealing with and, and sometimes, you know, sort of like the themes and sub themes that they're all sort of handling on their own. It's, it's kind of hard. So I kind of wanted to like knock off like the sort of one-off pieces, um, Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And then maybe talk about the, you know, bigger sort of plot stuff. Um, sure. You know, after that. Um, so first of all, so sort of the, the pieces that one, I think we get the least of and, and also is sort of off, you know, in their own part of the universe is um, Sharon and Hilo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I have a ton to say about them other than just, you know, we're getting, you know, we're getting more of like, um, like you have the Cylon, the other Cylons sort of watching them and like commenting mm-hmm. on like, you know, Sharon's acting ability and, right, you know, right. um, you know, sort of just seeing their progress. And we don't really know. I mean, we don't know what their plan is, per se. Um, right. Actually, in either case, we don't know really what Sharon and Hilo's plan is other than mm-hmm. they're sort of like trying to, I guess, still seek out the signal that they heard you know, right. at the end of last episode. Um, and they do this by going to like a city that's been nuclear bombed. Like, like, I'm not sure I understand their thought process totally, but, um, you know, they talk about, um, you know, they're taking like radiation meds and they only have mm-hmm. a limited supply left. And, um, you know, you get sort of, I guess, I guess it's an act, although maybe it's not, maybe it's more programmed than an act of mm-hmm. Sharon sort of being appalled by like the rats and the dead bodies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And just that, um, you, you know, um, also the comment from Hilo that like, he feels like he's in a movie. Um, I felt, I thought that was kind of an interesting like little bit, cause you know, you're getting again, that sort of, um, you know, just that sort of, uh, uh, I mean, we're, he, he is, you know, on the one hand, like he's literally sure. in a movie, but also, sure. <laughs> um, you know, like this is the sort of surreal scene that you would see, right? Like, you know, in sort of an apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. you know, movie or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot to say about them. Just sort of, we're getting, you know, a little bit more, they're still, they're, you you know they're they're sort of facing it together right so like this is you know that tension that we sort of had uh between Sharon and Hilo in the last thing and and Hilo's like mm-hmm. you know why did you come back and this and that like mm-hmm. you know now they're they're sort of trying to figure out whatever it is together and looking for you know whoever it is that had that signal but they don't really know what yeah. they're doing or what's going on and certainly don't know that they're being watched uh, or at yeah. least, or at least Hilo doesn't know that they're being watched. Maybe Sharon. Right. Sharon does. Right. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that is the most interesting part of the scene is the, the, 
the commentary by the Cylons that are watching them that like, I think, I mean, we saw like a glimpse of number six sort of watching them walk away that one time. So you kind of got the impression that, oh, this is all according to some plan that they have. But this is the first time we really see like, okay, they're being like tracked and monitored and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like again, whether or not there's any genuine feeling involved, at least the, the Doral Cylon seems to think that it's an act, you know, that, you know, saying she's good is like, you know, she's sort of acting disgusted so that Hilo will comfort her and then become closer to her and everything. Um, so that's kind of, which, which adds to sort of the, interesting nature of um Hilo saying he feels like he's in a movie it's because well you yeah. are kind of like you're you, being watched he, he, yeah. he's yeah. unwitting but like it is sort of it's an act it's you know right. he is part of a uh right. Right. scene that's being yeah. played out for someone yeah. else yeah yeah and there's an audience sort of keeping tabs um and then also there are little bits about um a couple things in their dialogue too. They bring up that, that idea of parents again, you know, like number six talks about, you know, we're the children of humanity and that's our, that makes them our parents. And, you know, Doral says, well, parents have to die. <laughs> like, sure. And, you know, you get his very, as a parent, uh, I'm not sure that that is necessarily true. <laughs> sure. Like at least not um, right away. <laughs> at least not killed by their children, you know, maybe, maybe dying of natural causes is one thing, but like being wiped out by your children is something slight, but like, yeah, like that's how that's Doral's interpretation is like, we need to clear them out of the way so that we can come into our own as the, as the children of humanity and everything. Right. Um, whereas number six, again, kind of like, like Baltar's number six, she seems to be able to kind of like how she could like, be talking about her love for him at the same time as she's using him to sort of bring down, you know, uh, the defenses and, and wipe out all of humanity. She, she also, again, has this sort of a more compassionate view. Like she kind of looks around at the city and says that it makes her sad, you know, and you kind of get the feeling of when she says there are parents, she means that almost, I don't know if affectionately is quite the word, but she at least feels like a connection with humanity. Like, mm. you know, there are parents in the sense that there are forebears and everything, and there's at least some relationship there. Um, whereas Doral is, doesn't have any of that sentimentality, I don't think, about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're getting, like, slightly different philosophical views between them as to how they view sort of what they've done, I guess. Well, and I, you know, it makes me wonder too with Doral, how much of that is how he felt like, you know, how he's felt all along maybe Mm -hmm. versus how much of that is caused by the way they sort of abandon him on, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever yeah. this space station yeah, yeah like yeah. like did he always like was this always his position against the humans right and maybe to some right. degree like yes of course because you know they blew everybody up so mm-hmm. you know to some extent like he he believed they had to die but is this like you know is that exacerbated by the fact that they treated him so sort of monstrously and you right. know whatever right um with no real evidence. Like, we know that 
Uh, right. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe he doesn't know. Does he? He must know because, like, there was no test actually administered, right? Like, I would think Baltar- he has some inkling at least that, yeah. like, and, the Baltar test was was fraudulent. <laughs> and if nothing else, because like Baltar accused him of putting that device there, which he knows that he didn't have anything to do with. Because, well... Well, do we know that? I mean, Baltar wouldn't have known that he had anything to do with it. Like, we didn't... No, but that could... But I don't think we know who did, so... No, no, no. But he knows, like... That Baltar Like, didn't Baltar didn't see him fiddling with right. it. Like, right. Like, that was... Right. That was a... Man, that was something Baltar manufactured. Right. So, you're right. You're right. Um, I mean, right. I, so I, again, I suppose well, you're again, right. Like we don't, we don't know if Doral did or didn't. Like he was part of that PR group, right? So right. But once again, the point being, whatever Baltar has has is correct about is correct because he's lucky and not because yeah. he or, got there by any sort of deductive reasoning. It's because or it's intuit. Like I mean, there might be some sort of underlying right. intuitive reasoning going on, but it's not right. It, right. You, you know, it's not the actual evidence that he presented like right right um yeah he didn't get there by logic he sort of yeah how he took a guess and however he did it he guessed correctly which, um which we should yeah. talk about when we get to more yeah. of baltar m6 because i feel like that that's a recurring theme of of like yes it it's sort of like you're you know they say like uh when you're trying you know when you're working out a problem or something to you know, go do something else and let your subconscious work it out. And that mm-hmm. seems to be sort of Baltar and six, you know, head six sort of yeah. all the way. <laughs> well, we could, do you want to just talk about them now since we're yeah, kind of sure. on the subject? Sure. Um, um, yeah. Cause that's totally what happens again. Like we don't know yet exactly the nature of his sort of subconscious six. So I think they're, again, they leave it very open to say, is this his own intuition? Is this his thought process being externalized or is she really in there somehow? But you do get that sense of like when she says to, you know, use the nuclear warhead and then, you know, figure it out for yourself from there. He's sort of, you know, fobbing along with whatever sounds good. And then you kind of get the impression that, oh, suddenly he gets an idea and suddenly he has some sort of epiphany about how it could work and actually has some sort of a plan. Right. Um, so yeah. Is that her tipping him off somehow? Or is that his, his own mind figuring out exactly what he wants to say sort of as he's saying it, it's, it's not quite clear. Um, yeah, but yeah, luck and fate are very indistinguishable. I think in a, I don't, that sounds like a Tolkien reference and I didn't mean it that way, but like with Baltar, it's like, mm. if lucky you, you it really could it, be yeah. either, if luck you call it, it could be either one, like either he is extremely lucky or like, like kind of like Hilo says, like somebody's watching out for him. Like she, you know, whatever head six is, she is sort of giving him these little boosts along the way. Um, Although kind of bullying him into it, he doesn't really want to do any of it. And yeah. she sort of terrifies him into doing what she tells him in this episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Just a little. Um, and, you know, so again, so working out, is this, you know, 
we still don't know is this some sort of external entity or is it just his uh you know, like you said, like, uh, you know, some kind of, um, you know, manifestation of his subconscious or whatever. Uh, you know, if, if the latter, then like one, it's interesting to see sort of how abusive of himself he is (laughs) like, um, but also you get that sense of like, you know, this is how you feel when you are panicking, right? Like this, Mm -hmm. like it does feel like there's sort of something just sort of shouting and needs to like break out of your own head. Right. You know, and just kind Mm of, uh, you don't know exactly how to say it until suddenly you just sort of burst out with whatever it is you're trying to think or do or, you know, whatever. Um, and it, and it, it, it helps explain, it, it makes sense of sort of why, if Baltar, like, knowing all of what he knows and knowing how sort of culpable he is and what happens, like, it kind of takes care of the problem of, you know, why doesn't he just, like, get out of this? You know, why doesn't mm. he pretend he doesn't know what he's doing or pretend it, it, it can't happen or do something to, like, just remove himself from the situation. And I think having head six be this abusive and scaring him with this idea of if they realize you've been stringing, you know, you've been stringing them along all this time or worse, if they find out what you had to do with it back in the beginning, then, you know, Mm. you'll be executed. So it's sort of like, sure. Without, without Adama or Rosalind having to threaten him with that, he can kind of, you know, his own mind is like, can figure that out for him. Um, you know, and, and, and in a self-imposed way, he has to go along with it or else there are these sort of deadly consequences and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, yeah, like it's not, it's not exactly a morality thing, right? Like it's a no. self-preservation thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a fear thing. But I, but I like, too, that even though he still can't really see past the techno babble, Adama, even Adama is starting to sort of catch on to, like, the BS that is Pulsar's. You know, like, he, even Adama is to the point now where it's like, all right, let's go, you know, what's, hold, what's the hold up? Yeah. They're all starting to get a little weary of Baltar's, like, twitchy little personality and everything. Yeah, although I don't, I don't know, like, I mean, Adama is kind of hard to read, but like, at the same time, you get the sense that maybe he's picking up, like, even like, you know, when Roslyn saw Baltar, uh, and was just like, you know, he's a weird dude, like, yeah, uh, right. you know, like, maybe I, I kind of get the sense that, um, Adama also is kind of like, all right this is a really smart guy and I don't know how to relate to that. So Mm. like, I'm just going to kind of like let it ride and see where it happens. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure that I, that Adama really thinks he's BSing. Like, I feel like he, like maybe even if he suspects that there's some BS going on, there's at least enough plausibility to say, okay, let's keep going out. Cause even at the end, he ultimately says you'll get your, 
atomic yeah. bomb, you know, like, yeah, like yeah. you'll, you, you know, he, he gives in. So like, I mean, he's going to give the guy an A-bomb. Like, I feel like he right. must have at least some sense of it being a little bit yeah. legitimate. <laughs> no. And I don't, I, I don't think he, he does. I think you're right. Like, I don't think there's any doubt of Baltar's, you know, I don't know, intelligence or capability of doing this. I, what I'm starting to, I got more of a sense of just impatience with his sure. whole like shtick, you know, of yeah. like, impatience, you know, definitely. I think yeah. like just this kind of sense of like, okay, we know you can do this. Why aren't you, you know, all right, what's the holdup? What do you need? And, you know, and maybe having Baltar ask for something as improbable as like a nuclear warhead sort of helps cover that and say, well, he's been reluctant to ask for this really dangerous thing that he needs to do. So it sort of, again, masks the real reasons behind his, like, you know, uh, why he's sort of putting it off and everything. Um, Yeah. Sure. Sure. All right. Um, So, okay, we skipped. Well, Okay, hold on, sorry. Um, let's talk about Ty. Mm-hmm. And specifically his different, uh, well, first of all, his drinking, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is not new at this point. No. Um, we've already sort of talked about it. But, we, you know, again, we get like sort of his, you know, wake up routine. He's, mm-hmm. you know, Getting finding, finding yeah. something to... to quenches thirst um right right uh and so you get sort of three different ways um or three different like people or groups of people that it sort of touches right so um first you get like the uh conversation with chief and callie Mm -hmm. um and of course and you get kind of like the looks between them of like Mm -hmm. you know they know what's going on and he's I don't, I'm not sure. I almost said exuberant. I don't know that that's the right word to describe Ty ever. Um, but you know what I mean? Like there, there's like a certain, there's like something not quite right about like the right. way that he's responding to their right. comments and questions and stuff. Um, right. Right. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, like, yeah, it's like, I don't know quite how to, it's like everything is just exaggerated or something like, like he sort of giggles inappropriately and then like, yeah. but then like when he finds out like it's salt water, he sort of like explodes about we yeah. can't drink salt water before it's like, okay, well let us finish. You know, like right. there's that sense of like his, his, he's, you know, there's no, in, there's none of that inhibition of like, you know, right. um, like he's, everything is like right more on the surface, I guess. Um, sure. You know, well, I don't know how, what, kind of a drunk that makes him but um you know that seems to be is like he's more of a loose cannon than like normal even more than normal and he's like pretty you know testy at the best of times but um right right um but yeah like and so um which is funny because then uh, well, I'm skipping skip Starbuck for a second because when he okay. goes and uh, you know confronts Boomer, 
about mm-hmm. her and the chief mm-hmm. and their relationship. Um, you know, he's like, oh, everyone on the ship knows, you know, what's going on between the two of you. You're not hiding anything. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. you know, you could be talking yeah. about yourself here, too. Yeah. yeah. Everyone know, like, you know, Chief and Callie obviously know, you know, Starbuck mm-hmm. is open about her knowing, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and seems to be yeah. sort of. Uh, teaching that same contempt to Boxy, uh, who we can mm-hmm. talk about in a minute. Um, right, right. You know, so, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, and even, you know, although uh, it doesn't come up in this particular episode, Adama has before, you know, sort of hinted mm-hmm. that he knows. So, you know, again, like Ty confronting Boomer that everyone knows about her and Chief having sex in the supply closet. Yeah. Like, Again, there's a pot and kettle thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, like, he has the line about, um, like, which we kind of talked about, like, with the decommissioning. It was it has sort of been, you know, tolerated, you know, a lot of this sort of laxed, you know, uh, relaxed behavior and everything. And he kind of says, like, well, we let you get away with it. We let everyone get away with murder. And it's like, okay, again, you know, it, that's exactly, like his, you know, drinking falls into that, you know, um, is like, that's not the kind of thing which would normally be tolerated on, you know, but so now, okay, we have, we're in, we're, we're no longer decommissioning. We're now the last, you know, battle star left that's protecting humanity. So Ty, as the good XO is like in crackdown mode to go like lecture everyone about their, you know, uh, bad behavior, but there's none of that awareness for, on his right. part of his own sort of behavioral issues. Um, well, and, and not only unawareness of, of the issues, but, you know, flat out denial because, um, mm-hmm. so you get Starbuck, right. And you get, you know, mm-hmm. kind of her in the ready room and, you know, she's being maybe a little flippant, maybe a little too friendly or whatever with mm-hmm. the pilots, at least as Ty sees it. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, when he comes in and sort of it's starting to ream her out, which, like, seems like he doesn't really have a good reason to, like, be there. I mean, <laughs> no. I guess. No, I guess, he's kind of going around looking for fights a yeah, little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, he says he's looking for Boomer, but, like, you know, even even when, like, he goes looking for Boomer, like, what is it? Just to ream her out about having sex with the chief, like, you know, again, like, I don't know that that's like a particularly good, you know, Mm -hmm. reason to like, just be sort of wandering about. Um, Mm -hmm. but anyway, like, yeah, like he doesn't have a huge reason to be there. Uh, and so, you know, Starbucks sort of like calls him out with this sniff, you know, whatever. Um, but then later, when Starbuck comes and tries to like, you know, sort of humorously, like she has a flask of water, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tries to like, I don't know, bury the hatchet or whatever and say, oh, mm-hmm. I have flaws too. His response is, yeah, but my flaws are personal, whereas yours like hurt other people. And it's like, dude, no, yeah. like, like yours, yeah. are, you, yours are just as bad, if not way worse 
mm-hmm. you know, be, you know, one, partly because of the denial that you're engaging them right in this moment, but also, you know, because as a drunk, you don't like, you clearly are not exhibiting like good behavior. And, you know, uh, there's the respect factor. Like, you know, if people, if people don't respect you, like how effective of a CO or XO mm-hmm. can you be? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, he says he says my flaws are personal, yours are professional, and it's like, uh, you know, being I'll drunk on BS. the job is a pretty okay, professional. Yeah, I'll call offense. BS on that. Like his the episode starts yeah. with him waking up in the morning and getting right to it and going to his meeting, sort of already, you know, tipsy. That's how he starts the day. So, you know, I think it was even in the miniseries where when he gets into the fight with Starbuck and Adama kind of calls him on it and he's like, well, I wasn't on duty. And it's like, well, that's clearly not always true. Like, it's not just an off-duty thing, you know? It's, right. Or it's, or it, it's it affects... escalated since then. Right, like, right. one way or right. the other. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, like, there's definitely tie. There's a lot of hypocrisy, um, which I think, again, back to his thing of, it's ever it's my job to be hated as the XO. I think he gets to write all this off as, well, they don't like me because they're not supposed to like me. You know, I'm doing my job. But like, if everyone's angry at me, um, then that's a good thing. Whereas, you know, there's there's respect, and then there's something else. You know, right. there's there's the kind of I don't like my boss because he's tough kind of respect. You know. And then there's Ty. (laughs) And it seems like the disrespect of the crew is sort of pretty unanimous of, you know, um, them not being really able to, they might be a little afraid of him, but they don't really take him seriously, you know, as a, certainly I think when you have Callie sort of giggling behind her hand, you get the idea that he's not really respected in that sense. Mm, Um, Sure. So, yeah. And also with Starbuck, it's the kind of, reversal of their other scene where he kind of went in with his sort of non-apology and Starbuck refused, you know, and said like, basically I don't accept your apology and we're not on good terms. And now here you kind of have her uh, going in sort of with her, you know, peace offering and him again, throwing it back in her face. So, you know, maybe a little bit of revenge there of, yeah, you know, maybe. When yeah. when now the tables are turned and I don't have to accept your apology either. Um, sure. So. Yeah. Oh, Ty. Um, do we have? Yeah, Boxy. That's it. Um, we hardly knew you, Boxy. <laughs> right. This is this is where it ends. I, I'm pretty sure this is the last that we see of him. Um, All right. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, But even Uh, he seems to know about the chief and... Yeah, right. um, And I I do like that he knows even where she is because of, like, what time it is. Like, (laughs) like, you know, it's 1400 and, you know... And points it out to Ty as if Ty should know this like obviously right like, is this we all we have this whole arrangement that everybody sort of knows about um every, no everybody knows not to disturb them at this time of day so right yeah all right well let's get into sort of the main plot stuff here um 
so uh, we've got sort of a continuation of the water crisis, right? It's like mm-hmm. uh, we found water, but now we have to deal with all the sort of tactical, you know, yeah. and technical uh, problems of transporting it up to the ship and, and out to the yeah. fleet and all of that kind of stuff. Um, which, you know, that's fine. Like, they figure that out. I don't need, you know, we don't need to get into all the details there. But what they yeah. find that they need is uh, people, you know, people to do all the this work, um, mm-hmm. which apparently, you know, we can't have the Galactica do it. There's, I guess, maybe not enough people on there, or we don't really get a explanation as why, you know, as to why, mm-hmm. like the crew of the Galactica can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so they go to, uh, you know, what appears to be, the, you know, the the local cache of slave labor um, <laughs> in the form of a prison ship, um, which we got we got a reference to already, right? Like, I mean, we, yeah. we you know, this was sort of set up before, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that one of the ships in the fleet is a, is a prison ship. Um, we get a little more detail, right. That, um, the prisoners were actually being transported, uh, for parole hearings, which puts an yeah. interesting twist into it. So it's not like, like these aren't just like, necessarily general population um as sort Mm -hmm. of uh i guess it's lee who sort of points out that like there's at least the possibility that these are people ready to be reintegrated into society right um right you know assuming that they pass their parole which they might not all have um you know so there's uh there's at least potential that you know these people are suitable for the job or whatever but also the sort of practical problem right of this ship is not sort of made for long-term incarceration it's just made i guess for uh you know these sort of short trips to and from Mm -hmm. um longer term facilities or whatever um yeah so they've been stuck in like you know uh tiny little cells since you know they got on board. Um, yeah, which Lee thinks might help them be a little bit more willing to, you know, take on like the difficult work and everything. Right. Right. Especially with the sort of carrot of earning points towards your release. Now, I'm, I mean, we don't ever get the details of like this point right. system, right? So, right, right. Um, we don't like, how many points is this? Is this like, if you do this, you know, what else are you going to have to do to earn your freedom? Um, and so on the one hand, I can kind of understand Zarek's, uh, you know, hesitant. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's doing it for more political reasons than just, you know, the point sure. system that's created, but there's also this sense of like, okay, say you have some kind of merit and demerit system, like, you know, does this become sort of like the old, like, uh, uh, indentured servant, you know, shops mm. where you're like, or, or, or like, you know, the factory towns where like you can buy from the company store, but you know, you buy on credit and you just sort of always owe the company more than you make kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, mm-hmm. like is, you, you know, you can, and not that I'm saying that Lee necessarily was planning to set that up, but you could sort of see it 
devolving into that yeah. kind of a system where you might earn points, but then points might also get taken away for certain reasons. And so right. maybe right. maybe freedom's always sort of dangled in front of you, just quite out of reach. Um, right, right. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the interesting things about Sarek is there's always sort of motivations on different levels. Um, and they don't, you know, you might argue that they contradict each other, but he seems to kind of like be able to play all levels at at the same time. So there's like the kind of purely self-interested level. And then there's the kind of level where I'm speaking as the head of all of these, you know, men in the prison ship. And then there's his sort of grand idealistic political uh, you know, motivations and everything. Um, sure. And, you know, you, we kind of obviously get more about those other, you know, uh, angles as it goes on, but there's always a sense of there's all three at once. Um, and, you know, you're never quite sure exactly which of them he's sort of playing on at any given time, I think. Um, and it's like, it makes it hard to entirely discount him. You know, because there are good points buried in all of, you know, the different, you know, arguments he's trying to make, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, though, there's the fact that, like, he's in prison because he's bombing buildings and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. he, you know, on the one hand, he's right about you know when he says things like oh it makes it hard when like the opposition isn't quiet right or whatever that line right, is right. like that that you know yeah. yeah of course like the people in power would like it if you know there were no dissenters and they could just mm -hmm. do whatever they want um mm -hmm. but that's not the way it works <laughs> sometimes yeah. um at the same time like you can understand how, you know, people might not like the fact that he goes around blowing up buildings, <laughs> kind of like the Cylons just did. It's just, sure, you know, yeah. the only difference between, between him and the Cylons is the yeah. Cylons blew up more buildings, right? Like, right. ultimately, like, he, want, he wanted, I, okay, maybe he didn't want the annihilation of the human race, but he wanted some kind of, you know, political change, governmental change, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. and And he you know, chose to kill people to do that. So mm -hmm. now, you know, his justification is that, you know, maybe the government is killing and, and, you know, doing bad things themselves. And so they deserve it. But, you know, it's, it's in any situation like that, it, you know, the people who are targeted more often than not are not the ones who are, yeah. you know, the cause of the problem. There are other right. people, maybe they're working in the system, but that doesn't make them guilty, at least not on the same level as right. as sort of, you know, he's talking about. Um, right, right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, he has one line about, like, if we're not free, then we're no different than Cylons. But you're right, like, his own violence is the closest, you know, relation to the Cylons that we've seen, I think. Um you know, his willingness to sort of uh, have that kind of uh, bloody revolution and everything. Um, yeah. Yep. And one thing that's interesting, too, which um, uh, I found in one interview is, um, you know, I don't think it's 
meant to be a one-to-one correspondence, but at least in some areas there was intentionally, um, you know, some references to kind of the situation in South Africa and, you know, Nelson Mandela's position Mm. and everything, um, which I think is especially interesting given, so we start to get some sense of there being a kind of special circumstance in Sagittarion, which is the colony that he's from, which I feel like other than Caprica, we haven't really gotten a sense of any of the other right. colonies really. Like just some names. Caprica yeah, kind of seems whatever, like yeah. 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 Like Caprica kind of seems like the capital, like kind of right. you know, more like urban and wealthy and all that kind of thing. But like this is the first we've like had any personality for other so like you get a sense of like it's been oppressed and exploited and is maybe has some sort of corruption in its own government that is like, you know, uh, oppressive to its people or whatever. Um, and that the other colonies have been taking advantage of it. Um, and so I think one of the interesting aspects is that they have D be from his same, uh, colony and Candace McClure is actually South African. So it kind of, to me, gives some interesting, you know, uh, weight behind it when she talks about I'm from there and I don't like what he's done and, and like, uh, you know, don't tell me about my people and that kind of thing. Like, I'm not necessarily saying that's a comment on South Africa, but like it gives a kind of, you know, I don't know. It just gives it the whole thing a little bit more of a punch. Um, and you start to get a sense of like, Oh, okay. There's a whole, backstory here of political upheaval in this one colony that, you know, we're sort of just hearing about for the first time. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And so bringing Indy, of course you get like her visceral reaction of, mm-hmm. you know, this terrorist, right? Like she, you know, this, it, and it's close to home for her, right? Because, right. you know, she's from the same place where he is. So, you know, she maybe either was there or at least had family there who, you know, potentially there were people she knew that mm-hmm. were in whatever building he blew up, you know, or, or that kind of thing. Um, but then you also have like sort of the idealistic Billy, mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, sort of defending, you know, overlooking the action and like sort of, maybe focusing just on the words or the whatever ideals, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Zarek espouses and call, you know, calls him like a prisoner of conscience and this kind of thing. It's like, well, no, you know, no, you can't be a prisoner of conscience if, if you're actually blowing buildings up, like, (laughs) like that, that goes beyond conscious to action. Right. 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 You know, there is actually something illegal that he did and, you know, terroristic. Um, but he like sort of chooses to ignore that and and mm-hmm. and kind of gives you know so uh, later when you get um the prisoner who like traps himself in with uh Cali mm-hmm. uh and um you have Lee and um you know Zarek you know sort of standing there and Zarek's like you know you did this you made him you made a monster that's actually mm-hmm. very similar to what Billy is saying right that like mm. like 
Zarek was made by the society that like he mm-hmm. was brought up in and, and that, yeah. um, you know, that because of that sort of people, innocent people deserve to get, you know, what they get because society made him that way, which is kind of a weird and twisted logic, but mm-hmm. you know, that's what they're going for. Um, there are, there are people who would, think like that and say yeah. like that's not whether or not everybody agrees with that I think that is a kind of logic like at least that's the ki- a kind of argument you hear for these sorts of like justifications for you know whatever kind of you know revolutionary yeah. acts and everything or atrocities yeah yeah right um, right so yeah so yeah. It, you know it's interesting that you you know because you think of like you don't think of Billy as you know, someone who would harbor like terrorist, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sentiments or whatever you want to call it. But, mm-hmm. but they're using a very similar sort of, uh, mm-hmm. argument in those instances. So, um, yeah. I just find that, that somewhat interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do like, there's the continuing idea of like Billy and D as this sort of mini Adama and Rosalind and like, how there's both a kind of like attraction there, but also they always end up on different sides of, you know, Mm. the argument, you know, like there might be some sense of like, you know, even with Adam and Rosalind, it's like, we, we get along to a certain extent and we're on the same side, but we, when it comes to like our opinions, we often fall down on opposite sides, you know, of the debate. And, like, you kind of, Billy and Dee sort of have their first fight. Like, it's like, you know, the first time you really see them, like, you know, have go at it on a sort of idealistic basis and everything. Mm. Um, yeah, and again, kind of Billy, like, like Rosalind is, like, in some ways, surprisingly, the more hardliner in a way and the more willing to kind of go to those extreme positions, whereas... It's D kind of siding with Adama who's, you know, taking more the kind of pacifist position and everything of, you know, there no, being no excuses for these sorts of things. So, um, yeah. so, and like that mirrors kind of, even though they kind of end up on opposite sides it's weird now that I'm thinking about it. It's sort of opposite to Adam and Rosalind, but also kind of similar in a way. Like, you know, Rosalind doesn't want to have any discussion with Eric, but like there's something tough about the way she just wants to go straight in. Um, you know, whereas Adama is more willing to negotiate and hold back and kind of take his time a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, sorry. I feel ahead. like we haven't, well, I was going to say, I feel like we haven't really talked about Lee much, which yeah. is funny because this is kind of his episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and I do kind of find it interesting that it seems like a big, you know, a big central idea of the episode is like, pick a side, you know, what kind of, you know, person do you want to be? And you get Zarek framing it as, you know, um like with the name Apollo, like, you know, you can't be both a hunter and a healer, you know, you sort of, 
you know, a God can be both things, but you sort of have to pick one side or the other. So again, in an episode where you have sort of Richard Hatch running around as sort of the old Apollo, it's kind of interesting to me that that becomes the question of like, who is Apollo and is he a hunter or a healer or Hmm. something else? You know, can he find like a third way, I guess. Um, Yeah, but I mean, I also feel like that that's the role that Apollo plays is to find that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately that is what he does. He, he, mm-hmm. he does both. Like he, he quells the rebellion mm-hmm. almost saying, I mean, okay. Yeah. There's like the Marines who come in and like back him up, mm-hmm. but he, you know, without anyone knowing that they're there, he gets a gun, saves Callie and gets Zarek, you know, under his own gun. And granted, there's like a bunch of other dudes with guns like around him who would shoot him, yeah. you know, if he killed Zarek at the same time, like none of the other Marines or any of the other people are really like players in what goes down. Like they, you know, uh, Lee is really the only one who sort of puts a stop to it. But then like, he doesn't just like, like you feel like, okay, if Adama or Roslyn, had gotten had gotten their way it would have been mm-hmm. you know we stormed a ship maybe kills eric and mm-hmm. you know throw everyone back in their cells or whatever but that's not what adama right. does he gives right. the prisoners the ship makes them dependent on the rest of the fleet for mm-hmm. supplies and stuff but then also agrees like you know what there should be elections um, which mm-hmm. is, which it, which turns out to be like sort of the main um, demand that Zarek has. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you question how authentically like he cares about elections. Like, sure, you know, you kind of get the sense that like he would find something else to complain about if even right. if there were yeah. elections held. Um, right, right, kind of like Ty. I feel like in a different way, it's like he's picking a fight, and it kind of doesn't so much matter what the fight is about, you know, or like, if not one thing, it would be something else. Like whether he's that way or whether the system made him that way, you get a sense of he's in there ready for his next sort of revolution, you know, and kind of waiting to see what the cause will be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you get, you get Zarek, uh, you know, sort of calling for these elections and, and you get, Lee agreeing to it, you know, in due time, according to the Constitution and mm-hmm. what they're held up to. But, you know, he does agree to it. Um, and the funny thing is that, you know, he, he, you know, so he comes back and explains all this to Adama and Rosalind and they're not like neither of them are happy with it, right. you know, uh, which kind of proves that he split the difference. Right. Because, mm-hmm. of course, like. They would, either of them would only have been happy with whatever each one of them wanted. Like they, you know, uh, the fact that they're both unhappy sort of shows that he's not pandering to either, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which makes me question, you know, sort of Adama's comment of, I guess you picked your side. Because I feel like he didn't. Like Lee didn't pick a side. And maybe the, maybe the, yeah. you know, maybe the thing Adama means by that is 
you chose a side, meaning you chose to go against me. But he's not really choosing Rosalind's side either. Like, he's Mm -hmm. still, you know, saying, hey, you need to follow the Constitution. And I like the way he, like, phrases that of, you know, hey, if if you're not going to hold elections in seven months, then, uh, you know, then we're not following the Constitution anymore, which means... Like, you're not the president anyway, and you're not a colonel anyway, and I'm not a captain anyway, and so I don't don't even have to listen to you, like, because there are no rules. Um, Right. So it's, you know, it's interesting to see sort of the way he plays that out. And and he is being sort of legalistic and whatever to sort of his father, you know, Adama calls him, you know, says like, oh, you're talking like a lawyer or whatever. Sound like a lawyer, yeah. yeah. But, But at the same time, like, He's right that all of them stood there and agreed to uphold that law. And even, like, Adama has even, like, acknowledged that he's not going to have a military coup or, you know, right. you know subvert the Constitution or anything. Yeah. Um, so there is that sense of, like, yeah. Lee may sound like a lawyer, but the law is what they're all there to uphold. So how is right. that a bad thing? Like, right. Um, yeah, it just occurred to me, like, there's pretty much no difference between what he does with Zarek and what he does with Adama and Rosalind, like, except for, like, the gun pointed at Zarek's head, is sure. basically saying, like, this is what you've been saying you believe in. Now it's time to money where your mouth is, you know? Like, yeah. if you're, you're, like, you know, Zarek, you've been preaching of you want these elections and you want fairness and freedom and all this stuff. Well, you can have it or you can have your revolution and you can die um, and you get to choose. And the same thing with Adam and Roslin is like, all right, we've all been at least pretending that we're going to obey, you know, the laws of our society. And is that true or not? Because um, here's where you sort of have to decide. And if they went against it, then they would be being the kind of like despots that Zarek accuses them of being. And the whole thing would probably devolve into some sort of, like, chaos. You know, like, I think probably their little scraps of society wouldn't last much longer. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it would turn into some sort of, you know, civil war between the two of them. So, um, you know, yeah, like, he doesn't really give Zarek or Adama or Rosalind what they want. He gives each of them maybe little pieces of what they want. Um, Right. But, yeah... Yeah, the side he picks is sort of, if he picks a side, it's, like, not any of their sides. He, like, picks his own side, which is sort of a hybrid of all yeah. three of them, I think. He, he's an ent. He no, is an ent. Nobody's on my side, <laughs> yeah. so I'm on yeah. nobody's side. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but then you're kind of, when you're not picking sides, I think you're more free to be that impartial judge of, you know, I can see... I can see the bits of each of these arguments that have value and find some sort of synthesis of all points of view, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, Which, you know, I think I mentioned before, like that, that seems to be sort of the overarching, um, I almost yeah. said motif, but not motif isn't quite what I mean, like paradigm or, uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, structure of Battlestar Galactica is you have these sort of, Hegelian dialectics that get resolved in in sort of a synthesis mm-hmm. kind of way, um, mm-hmm. which you know, 
is interesting. I, you know, which that that's I, a very I, that's a very alchemical thing too. The union of opposites, you know, of like take two opposite poles and find some sort of hybrid version between them. Sure. Um, I was going to say, like, I feel like that that seems to be what I think a lot of people see is the um, sort of like ideal function of like um, government and politics and that kind of thing. It's like, Oh, you know, each side, like, you know, Mm -hmm. deliberates the merits of their position. And then like some sort of like, you know, decent uh, compromise emerges from that discussion. Um, You know, whether that happens in reality or not is, a separate issue maybe, but like, um, yeah, I feel like that that's, you know, at least when people sort of think, you know, idealistically or, or, you know, sort of on a higher level about politics and and government, that's, that's how they see it, you know, being supposed to work. So. Right. um, Yeah. You sort of argue and then the best version of itself sort of arises from that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, which is sort of, you know, in its idealistic way, that is sort of godlike, you know, like that is kind of rising to that what Apollo can mean is like Mm. not to say that Lee himself is godlike or perfect, but like that's kind of what that name represents is that union of opposites of like, okay, he can be both the healer and the hunter and somehow make, you know, a a middle ground that isn't just like a compromise between the two, but is actually some sort of synthesis of the two. Sure. Um, Yeah. Definitely. Um, All right. You know, and I think, I think Rosalind at least gets that, even if I think Adama is still a little stung because it's his son and everything. But like, I kind of get that Rosalind at the end sort of, even if she would have, decided something different she kind of grudgingly accepts that you know at least she respects his position and and goes along with it um you know yeah although there's also the revelation that she gives right of she may not be here in seven months so right may like i do kind of feel like there might be some of that in there too of Mm -hmm. you know her her uh acquiescence or whatever mm-hmm. is is perhaps more of a realization of like this may not affect me anyway. Sure. Like ultimately. Sure. So, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, she does reveal that, and she does kind of say that. You know, I may not be here in seven months or whatever. So, you know, I don't. But I don't. We don't get sort of an explicit explanation there. So I don't want to put too much weight on that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so you also get, um, Starbuck sort of in the mix, uh, you know, with the incursion team, uh, onto yeah. the Astral Queen of, you know, her just wanting to like have Lee move so she can take the shot or to have, mm-hmm. you know, Lee take the shot. Like she just wants, mm-hmm. you know, pretty solidly on the side of like, just go in, take him out and you know, deal with the consequences, whatever those might be, you know, after yeah. the fact, uh, yeah. which is, 
you know, definitely not taking the nuanced view of things. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, definitely more, uh, you know, along the lines of, uh, along the lines of, you know, even what Rosalind wanted to mm-hmm. do right away. Like she, you know, she didn't even want to give Zarek any legitimacy and didn't want to talk yeah. to him at all or, you know, whatever. She just wanted to have the troops go in and, um, yeah. I mean, Adama wanted to save them, you know, save his people and stuff, but, you know, was more willing to sort of use subterfuge and, uh, mm-hmm. or subterfuge, I guess. Uh, and, you know, um, you know, sort of put them off guard so that mm-hmm. they could get their people in place or whatever. So. Right, right. Anyway. Um, in like a minute before we go over to Angel, did we have anything to say about Callie? Because um, she gets kind of a... We didn't really sure. talk about what happens to her in this episode. I don't know how much there is to talk about, but you kind of get her, you know, um, attitude, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, she's like, you know, in a ship full of young people, she's maybe one of the like, you know, one of the ones that looks the least threatening is sort of this, you know, young, small, little woman. Um, but she kind of holds her own and, uh, you know, bites the dude's ear off. So yeah, there you go. Um, Good for her. Yeah. And of course gets shot in the process, but, (laughs) uh, yeah. And, and you have, yeah. So, well, and there's a few things going on there too, right? Cause there's, you know, who knows like if her going to sleep or trying to sleep had anything like i i don't get the sense that she was doing what the prisoner you know uh sort of accused her of doing of like Mm -mm. showing that trying to show that she's not scared by sleeping like she says it shows that i was tired (laughs) like you know the most obvious thing that it could possibly show so you know Whatever, but of course, you know, this is the, you know, we don't know exactly what would have happened had, you know, things gone down a slightly different road. But I mean, we certainly mm-hmm. can guess as to what the prisoner was intending yeah. to do to her or whatever. And, yeah. um, you know, you get sort of, like you said, Callie's not, you, she's sort of the most unassuming, um, but, you know, again, she like she's also like a mechanic or whatever. Like, you know, she's not necessarily yeah. like she, she may be strong and, and capable and mm-hmm. in, in her own way or whatever. Um, and we get, um, we get sort of the comments from D about her being, you know, having been trained and saying mm-hmm. to Callie, everything will be all right. And, you know, telling Billy, like, you know, she'll be fine because, you know, we all receive training on what to do and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you don't know how much of that is actually just like her trying to uh, uh, put the best face on the situation or something like, sure. you know, like, to, you know, I mean, she's trying to encourage Callie, certainly, but like also sort of trying to say to Billy, maybe that like, hey, it's OK, like things are going to be all right, you know, mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's it's definitely a, it's a rough situation. Um, but yeah, like she, like you said, she 
is able to sort of keep her own uh and yeah uh at least until you know lee comes and yeah shoots the at least until the gun comes out yeah right um yeah no and that's true like of the three of them as the civilian billy is kind of the most nervous or at least admits to being the most nervous he's the one that sort of is upfront about being scared you know whereas like Callie just tries to sort of ignore it as much like you know not draw attention to herself and you know doesn't work but tries to sort of just you know stick to herself until they leave them alone and D does kind of like step up a little bit as you know you know maybe it's her job as you know the the ranking person there and Adama's representative to sort of like bolster up the troops and kind of encourage them and everything um so yeah um yeah I don't know that I have much else to say about it but yeah well and um, and so sort of going along with that um or maybe maybe in um sort of contrast to that you get sort of the ribbing at the end from chief and the mm-hmm. other guys you know in the crew and you know yeah. sort of like how lazy she is and you know mm-hmm. whatever and and her sort of uh you know her giving it back to them which you know again like like you get the sense that you know this is a woman in in maybe a male dominated field right mm-hmm. like which even even on Galactica, like you get the sense that there's still, yeah. it's still not like, like there's maybe more women on the Galactica than there are mm-hmm. like women in the military, you know, like the U S right. military, but it's still not right. like a one-to-one ratio. Like you're still, right. it's not like gender doesn't exist there. Yeah. Like there's still a sense of male and female meaning pretty much what it means here. Even if maybe there's a bit more mixture than, we're used to in like some of these professions and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you get again, like to contrast the strictness of like the CIC and everything you see, like again, Tyrrell's um, like the way he handles his crew is with that kind of affectionate ribbing. Um, you know, it's not very hierarchical. It's like, you know, kind of his sort of, he teases her about being lazy and is kind of proud of her that she like bit off the guy's ear and everything. So, um, you know, you get that sense of like, this is the kind of, if, if leadership is a theme, this is the kind of leader he is that like, um, you know, he kind of treats them more like family in a way, or at least openly like that. Um, of more like kind of little brothers and sisters and everything. Mm. Okay. Should we move on to Angel now? Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) So Angel, the title that I can't really pronounce. Um, Well, you did it. I did it. I'm so proud. Um, So, I guess let's start uh, with Cordy and her plot because they're kind of not entirely on their own, but sort of, at least in the beginning, sort of separated in everybody. Um, so we get 
picking up kind of where we left off of her uh, sort of crying over Lorne's uh, severed head and sort of blaming herself for her mistakes and everything. Um, and then you get the little shock of, you know, Lorne opening his eyes right before the credits roll and everything. Um, and this, again, with this continuing theme of, like, uh, the Wizard of Oz and everything, um, you know, it's Cordy saying, I don't like it here, I want to go home. And Lauren's like, I'm right there with you. I hate it here. <laughs> mm. So that sense of, like, he didn't even want to come back here in the first place, and of course he comes back and, like, the worst happens. He's He's been beheaded. Um, but, yeah, I didn't expect to see his head start talking um (laughs) i i hoped and suspected that he would be brought back somehow but i was imagining some sort of i don't know uh resurrection ritual like at the end of the episode where they're able to like use magic to go back and like you know resurrect him somehow um i wasn't i wasn't anticipating that the head would sort of keep talking um so yeah, that was very funny, um, and provides a good amount of like humor throughout the episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, you know, a disembodied head is always fun. It's always good for a couple chuckles. A, a talking disembodied head, no less. Um, of course. Yeah, no. I so just sort of running with the Lauren stuff, like the, um, you know, the gag of you know him in the basket, like. There's there's literally no reason for um, Lauren's cousin there. I forget his name. Um, Landoc. Landoc, thank you. Sorry. Uh, there's, like, literally no reason for him to show up at, like, the human rebel camp. Other than to, like, play that gag of, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the others seeing Lauren's head and him going, Really? That's all you have to say? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that great shot of them all, like... Uh, jerking away when you know yeah and we're just fred left i don't know if like fred knows this about them so she's not surprised or she just isn't phased by anything i feel yeah i feel Um, like it's more like like because she's she's the one who is studying to be a physicist right she has like the scientific curiosity mm -hmm. aspect Mm -hmm. going right i i don't think it's yeah hugely important but it's or just like she's like operating on some other level where like seeing a talking head doesn't yeah. even really scare her. Um, um, or like the, you know, the scene with um, Cordy in the mutilation chamber and like, you know, mm-hmm. constantly hitting the gruselug in the butt with, you know, Lauren's right. head kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, just yeah. like, there's no yeah. reason Physical for that other than pure slapstick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. And they're, <laughs> they're kind of, not quite sure what to say when they like they're kind of all sad that he's dead but it's like they don't really know him that well yet so it's not like he's like their best friend so it's like that kind of thing of like he was yeah hmm like (laughs) like we feel like we should say something but like none of us really like knows him well enough to really have a big like eulogy or anything it's the first time we really hung out (laughs) yeah yeah um, he's just like that guy at the bar who like gives us advice and stuff like, you know, yeah. um, you know, and he's sort of offended and disappointed by that. He was hoping for some big like maybe he was hoping they would sort of 
break out in song over his, you know, death or something. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, I guess what kind of, I was wondering whether I wanted to sort of finish with Lauren's story or whether we can kind of come back to him at the end um, when everybody sort of comes together. Um, so, to stay with Cordy, though, um, you know, well, there's also her screaming and her, like, continued <laughs> extended screaming when she discovers what's going on. Um, sure. You know, and then we get, um, you know, it, it's interesting kind of how they're, they're not still together, obviously, by the end of the episode, but the the relationship with Cordy and the Grusalug sort of escalates fairly quickly, like over these couple of episodes, like you see them, sure. you know, really falling for each other and really connecting. So you get that, you know, she has this whole plan to like smuggle out the head and switch clothes with one of the cows and sneak down there and all that. And like, they think that, you know, the body has been sort of cut up already and then you find out that the Grusalug's already gone and done that because of, you know, his feelings for Cordy and everything. Um, you know, so you're getting this sense of, like, he has all of this, you know, uh, you know, the hierarchy has been imposed on him of what he's allowed to do. Like, he's sort of a slave in his own way. Um, sure. But he's willing to sort of disobey all of these rules and orders, you know, for Cordy because of her inner queenliness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, he, I mean, and this is like dream come true for her, right? Like hot guy who's like good at heart and willing to break the rules for her. Like what else could Cordy have ever asked for? You know, sure. Um, sure. except for the fact that when they, uh, calm shock that, uh, you know, her visions will pass out of her. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the interesting thing there is that she doesn't want that to happen. Right. Like, even yeah. though it's painful and, and I want to point out too, like we get hints that like, there's an increasing intensity, you know, to the mm -hmm. visions. Like, I don't think this is the first time we've gotten that hint, but we get, yeah. you know, sort of her saying again, like that, that, you know, there is this increasing yeah, intensity, uh, you know, in, in the visions and stuff, but that, that they're her visions. They were given to her, you know, not directly by the powers that be, but through Doyle. Um, and, and that it's, you know, sort of her legacy to, you know, to have those visions yeah. and to help people with them. Um, you know, and even though, you know, I mean, the Grusleg says, like, well, I'll, I'll do the same thing. It's just I'll do it here. So, like, yeah. you know, you get the sense that he's being genuine there. Not like, like mm -hmm. he, you know, the the priest guys, like, certainly seem to have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, nefarious, like, plan in place to use the vision somehow. Like, we don't really know. We don't get details mm -hmm. there but at least you feel that like Gru is uh 
you know, sort of being honest in his assessment of like, well, you know, I want these visions so that I can help my own people or, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's an interesting aspect that, sorry, were you going to, well, and I was, and just to say too, that like he, you know, he points out too, that like, because Cordy's not a demon that, you know, her human body won't necessarily be able to handle, um, you know, the visions indefinitely. Right. Right. So like, you know, obviously they haven't, uh, calm shucked at the end of this episode. So kind of that kind of seems to be setting up for like future episodes or seasons, this idea of like, she still has the visions and they're going to keep getting worse. Mm. Um, and how will she be able to sort of handle that is sort of not, uh, totally clear yet. Um, but yeah, I wanted to point out again, even further that, um, you know, it's, it's, it is that they're her visions and that they're a duty that she has and that they were, like you said, a legacy of Doyle. But also I find it interesting that I feel like this is the first time she said, I like them. Um, like obviously they're not pleasant and she says that, but they're, she says they're a part of who I am now. They're an honor. Um, Hmm. so this idea of like, it's not even just, I, I feel obligated to do a duty for the greater good, or I feel compelled to do it because my friend who died gave them to me. It's like, she actually likes being the one in charge of that, you know, like that's her, you know, not her only contribution, but that's like her major contribution to this whole team that they have, you know, that's Mm. the thing which she can really, you know, uh, provide that nobody else can. Um, and there's something like that she's proud of, I think about that, you know, beyond just that she feels like she should have them, um, you know, or that she would feel guilty if she gave them up or something. Um, there's actually at least some level in which she, you know, enjoys being the one, uh, you know, who has the honor of doing that. So, yeah, but that kind of means that they, they can't consummate anything, you know, it kind of keeps them sort of tragically separated a little bit, you know, if she wants to keep her, you know, keep these visions, which are so important to her, it sort of means that she and Gru can't really be together. Um, So, not that, you know, I didn't necessarily think he was, like, going to come with her and, like, move in or anything, but, like, you know, that might have been on the table. So, you know, it kind of seems like that even further uh, sort of, bolsters the decision at the end that like she'll go back home with her friends and he'll stay here and sort of rule over this kingdom of like, there's this sense of like, there's this kind of sense of like, we can't really be together anyway. So even though there's sort of a love there, there's a mutual kind of understanding of it can only sort of really go so far. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're certainly not kind of calm shock now that she knows like what will happen if they do. Yeah. 
So, which is an interesting parallel to Angel that I hadn't thought of before now. Oh, hmm. but like you know, yeah, there's like right, you know, there's like, I mean, obviously for her, it's with one specific person, but still, there's that sense of like, you know, you're unable to really be fully close to somebody because of what will happen if you do. Um, but also, so, and we didn't really talk about this before, but we've had a number of instances now of, you know, Cordy sort of being, uh, well, like impregnated or, you know, right, wanting right, to be sure. impregnated by demons, which is um, a parallel to Xander in a way, uh, because right. he is also one who is, constantly being uh accosted yeah. or assaulted assaulted yeah. by you know demons or whatever you know and yeah. including anya <laughs> you know and right. as a ex-demon at least you know um mm-hmm. so just yeah it's kind of a funny sort of thing there but yeah, yeah. The, the parallel of the angel is interesting um because yeah like it'll I you know she won't turn evil like he mm-hmm. he does you know lose her soul or anything but um, like you said, like she does see this having uh, these visions as being an honor and she'll lose that and will lose her sort of um, her direct, uh, you know, in, I guess, with the higher powers and and her, you know, direct line to sort of being um, in, in her own way, sort of a champion. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, like Angel is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Although, with Angel, I mean, it's like the moment of happiness thing. I don't, like, you get the sense that, like, there, this is a specific ritual with, like, this yeah. one person. Yes, So it's, it's not like, yeah, no, you know. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, and, of course, we've seen that Angel can have sex without, you know, losing his soul. Yeah. It's It's the happiness portion, right? So... Right. Um, no, they're not exactly the same. Um, whatever, but yeah. It just It's just interesting that they're both limited in, you know, with at least with certain people of being with who they want to be with. Um, sure. You know, because of conce- some sort of negative consequences that they don't want. Um, so, you know, kind of just gives her, you know... A little bit of something in common with him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and staying with Cordy, too, I was happy to see um, that her, <laughs> when she kind of takes control at the end and, and beheads the the head priest, too. Because mm. um, there, there was a point where I was almost gonna start to be annoyed of like Cordy's the one getting like smacked around and overthrown and having to be rescued and then it was sort of uh, a nice relief to get her you know to have her to be the one to sort of like actually you know take out the the bad guy and everything um so you know for whatever that's worth I got a kick out of that yeah yeah, she can. Um, she can swing a what? What it was a sword or an axe? Like I a can't sword remember. Yeah. or something. Yeah, I um, think it was a sword. Um, and <laughs> and also got a big kick out of her 
reaction when Angel thinks that she's saying she loves him. You know, her her thing of, not you, dumbass. You know, like... Right. <laughs> um, yeah. She's still courty. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. deep down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and Angel's sort of trying to... Wanting her love, but trying to define exactly what they are to each other. You know, like, he's feeling a little bit neglected, but also, like, you know, it's as a friend and a co-worker. You know, like, it's not, like, that kind of love. Right, but, right. you know... Right. Um, him still sort of being maybe even after they've had their sort of tension in this season, him still wanting her to like, you know, fully forgive him and you know be friends with him and everything. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, no, I mean, for as much as like Angel puts on like the tough guy mask, like his his need for some sort of validation too is also kind of. Um, you know, funny, especially in a, you know, where you get the sense that like, well, I, I mean, I don't know if we want to transition talking about him yet, but, um, no, we can, I think just the, you know, the idea of his, the manifestation of his demonic side, you know, being Mm -hmm. so much worse in this realm. Like Mm -hmm. you do get the sense that he's like, even though, you know, he enjoys, walking on you know under the sun and and you know doesn't have like the same you know there is it is a less complicated world right like we get like remember lauren's description that a couple episodes ago now of you know like it's just a world where like champions roam the countryside and you know save people and like that's mm-hmm. like he likes the simplicity of that right mm-hmm. and the clearness of like purpose and all of that um, yeah, and sort of the black and white nature of it, but yeah. like come, and the and the adoration of all of the villagers, and yeah, but you know, come to find out, like that also includes like, you know, he's either completely human or like completely demon. Like there, mm-hmm. you know, there isn't like the tempered demonic form that he right. can summon in sort of our world, um, and so it, you know, that weighs on him to. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of manage that as well. Like there's, he's, he's, while he's in a way, you know, stronger, like he's also in a way more fragile at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's kind of an interesting connection with the BSG episode of like, even though it seems appealing at first to have these simple black and whites, the extremes actually aren't as, desirable as that kind of tempered version like you said like like okay yeah there's the all human but there's also the all demon too um and actually at the end of the day it's better for him to you know be able to sort of synthesize the two but have some form of control over them um Mm. you know rather than just sort of know that if he gives in to the demon, he's sort of going in all the way and everything and can't really be sure if he'll be able to come back from it. Right. Um, so even though, you know, Lauren talked about those pesky moral ambiguities back in their own world, but that actually a little bit of ambiguity seems desirable when you're dealing with like pure evil, you know, (laughs) like then it's like, okay, moral ambiguity is better than that because, 
at least there's, <laughs> you know, right. some something human about it and not just this, you know, bloodthirsty animal force and everything. Right. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so you get him... Uh, again, it kind of picks up where we left off with him in the cave with Fred and everything and him sort of coming to and having to deal with realizing what, you know, he's capable of in this universe and everything. Um, and you get that throughout, like his resistance to even wanting to go sort of vamp and change um, because, you know, he can't, in this world, he can't, indulge in that at all because there's sort of no you know, sure. limit to it. Um, but, uh, you know, interesting little uh, relationship with him and Fred, you know, um, they sort of hit it off. Um, and she sort of, uh, I mean, obviously she's lonely. So, you know, you get the sense of she's sort of had happy to have somebody to, share with and talk to and take care of and everything. But there is that sense too, where she can kind of handle him in a way. Like she talks about how everybody's, you know, scared of the demon and I'm not. Um, so there is a part of her that I think like, it's not just, she sort of attaches herself to him, but that she actually is good at, like we saw at the end of the last episode when she sort of like figures out how to lure him away and everything. Like, she doesn't just sort of run for the hills. She actually like sticks by him and takes care of him and can actually help him manage the situation and everything. Um, so even though she's kind of loopy, um, you still get a sense of like her competence and intelligence and everything sort of behind all of the eccentricity. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah. I don't have and anything to her, add to that. <laughs> well, all of her too, um, leading up to, you know, we don't have to get into all the like plot loops and everything, but like setting up her being the sort of key to getting home, you know, of that she's been writing these, you know, figuring out the physic the physics behind the, the portals and interpreting, you know, the the language, which is a consonantal representation of mathematical formulas and everything. And right. so she's the one, no, she didn't have all the information that she needed, but that she's the one who's able to sort of figure out and, and actually get them home in the end. Right. Um, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She's a smart cookie. Yeah. Um, and I like to, when Angel jumps out and says, yeah, and they're like, oh, he does that. And she's like, oh, she's Fred. She does that too. So like, you know, like already they have this little sidekick relationship and everything where she's sort of can be just as sort of sneaky as he can. So, um, yeah. Um, I guess kind of like connecting to Willow or Willow, Wesley and gun to there's w names threw me off um <laughs> connecting to wesley and gun with angel um you get also to uh 
you know, there's that moment where Wesley again kind of defers to Angel to be the leader. Um, he's still not totally comfortable with the sort of take charge thing, but Angel, you know, leaves him in charge of the rebellion planning and everything. Um, but you get that uh, thing of Wesley reassuring him that he can, you know, master the animal side and the demon, then he can come back from it and everything. Um, sure. You know, which sort of is, I guess, it kind of struck me as funny, like, this last arc of episodes, these, like, four episodes or whatever, are kind of very separate from the rest of the season. Um, sure. Like, in some ways, it's like, I was thinking, like, oh, gosh, like, all this stuff with, like, Lindsay and... Lila and Darla and all that like is like almost like a separate like plot like they don't really interact much um yeah with the only oh sorry well but I was gonna say like I'm there are a few exceptions and one of them being like this idea of like Wesley kind of saying to him like you know, we know you, we know you're a man with a demon inside not the other way around yeah um and that being the kind of like culmination of the plot of like you know that we've been seeing all season of angel wanting to sort of you know fire his friends and be alone and Mm -hmm. you know kind of indulge in that demon side and all the different things that he's done and everything yeah this is sort of the the answer to that i guess yeah well and and angel sort of acknowledges that too right when he says you know the reason i fired you was because, yeah. you know, I could feel the darkness coming out. And, like, here when it comes out, it's, you know, ten times worse. So um, there's that aspect. Also, you know, not to forget, too, that um, there's a connection between the priests here and yes. Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. So um, yeah, we don't know, like, the full, yeah. full details of that connection, but um, there is some connection. And that, yeah. you know, they're looking to steal... Uh, Cordy's visions, you know, mm-hmm. for their use for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And so. interesting too, that then you kind of get the aside from Wesley of like, I need him to believe it. So there's that sense of like, you know, not that he doesn't believe Angel's capable of it, but maybe he needs Angel to be a little bit more sure of it than he can even be, you know, of like all of, you know, there's a there's a yeah. tiny hint of maybe by telling him what he needs to hear will make it true. You know, sure. <laughs> of like, you know, if I tell him I'm I'm not sure you can come back, then that doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. So you have to sort of fake it till you make it, kind of a thing. So one of one of the interesting things here, and we don't really know exactly the time frame, but. You can sort of imagine that this is going on right at the same time as the big battle with Glory is happening in Buffy. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I've always found interesting is that you have Wesley taking on a very pragmatic and almost utilitarian role in the same way that Giles Mm. does. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and... You know, I mean, we've we've sort of seen Giles, you know, be more uh, capable and, you know, uh, whatever, watcher all around. But, like, you know, I think thinking back to 
when again, yeah, you know, and we made we've made this observation a number of times that Wesley has certainly gotten more capable since we first mm-hmm. saw him, um, even in Angel, let alone in <laughs> Buffy. Um, yeah, but but that that's the, you know the sort of like almost ruthless weighing of lives and yep. the value of those lives in this context um and you get sort of the the ultra utilitarian comment of you know if you try to save everyone you'll end up saving no one and you know like mm-hmm. that may or may not be true but his willingness to send people to their deaths you know to sort of achieve a bigger goal mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. know a more uh uh, positive in the long run outcome um, seems I don't know just interesting like we haven't really seen that side of Wesley before I don't think um, no. that I can remember anyway no and it is interesting because you know he says like the quote we took our title from of why do people keep putting me in charge of things you know there is that part part of him which is a reluctant leader but you know at least in this episode, once he's put in charge, he's not shy about making tough decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, uh, they may or may not, like you said, be, you know, the right ones, but at least he doesn't, uh, in the Adama sense, there's no second guessing. You know, it's sort of, this is what needs to happen for this situation and everything. Um yeah. Well, and I also I also find it interesting as a parallel too that in both of these episodes we're talking about they're kind of about rebellions um you know against you know what are perceived to be tyrannical authorities and everything and you know kind of funny that on one side we tend to be more sympathetic with the authority whereas on the other side here we're sort of obviously with the you know rebels um Obviously, there's differences, so I'm not saying it's an exact parallel, um, but, you know, just an interesting little crossover. Sure. Sure. All right. Um, I don't know that I have a ton more to say about anyone. I mean, we get, so I don't think we talked about gun much. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I would just say sort of in contrast to the wesley stuff i you know it is a little interesting that we get gun trying to like i don't know that he tries to dissuade wesley but he definitely like you know points out that hey if you send these guys over here they'll die Mm -hmm. um and wesley's like yeah yeah i know (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um you get wesley being sort of uncomfortable with that which is Interesting because, or sorry, you get Gunn being uncomfortable with that, um, which is interesting because Gunn has been a leader and like has, yeah. I, I mean, like clearly he knows what's going on here and you get the sense that maybe he's even had to make the same decisions before and because of that, he's sort of yeah. uncomfortable making them now um, yeah. for whatever reason. But also like, you know, just recently he lost a friend. Right. And that was like his whole reason initially for not wanting to come along was so that he could stay with his crew who, you know, he leads and he sort of made the decision not to do that. Um, Sort of uh, giving up his position as a leader as it 
as it were. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't yeah. have... No, I, I, well, I get the same feeling that it's because of his experience as a leader that he's reluctant to be that, you know, uh, pragmatic about everything of saying like, he says, I don't want to leave them to get themselves killed. I do that enough. Mm. So, you know, this idea of like, I don't know whether naive is the right word for Wesley, but there's a sense of like Gunn is reluctant to do this because he's done it before and he knows, or at least he's had his people die on him before and he kind of knows, you know, enough to have regretted maybe some of those decisions um, or wished he could have done things differently. Um, Sure. You know, whereas maybe as an untried leader, um, you know, Wesley, maybe there maybe is an intellectual understanding that, you know, he's sending people to die, but it maybe hasn't hit home in the way that it has for Gunn. Mm. Um, Hmm. You know, Uh, like I think it's, I mean, and there's a difference, too, of, like, Wesley doesn't know any of these people, whereas, like, Gunn used to lead his friends. Right. So right. when people died, it, it was a very personal thing. Um, so I don't know that Wesley's experienced that kind of a loss where, you know, your your mistakes of leadership get somebody that you care about killed. Um, you know, and that's probably... The, the, the kind of thing that only comes with making that kind of mistake is the only way you can really understand what that feels like. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so do we have anything else to say about sort of the end when they all, I mean, it, it, it all Did, works out pretty much. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have anything about like the battle and, you know, like you, sure. you, you know, we talked about Cordy killing the head priest. And yeah. yeah. She makes some proclamations and leaves crew yeah. sort of in charge. Um, yeah. Uh, you want, did you want to talk about Lauren and his last scene with his family sure. there? Sure. Yeah. Lauren goes home to, you know, and we think for a moment maybe his mother will uh, have some nice things to say, you know. Um, she doesn't. <laughs> she says pretty much exactly what Lauren expected her to say, um, you know, and spits in his face and talks about, you know, the shame of his, you know, life and everything. Um, and I think, do, don't you even hear her, like, telling Numfar to dance again, like, in the background? Yeah. Of, like, yeah. you know, doing the dance of shame again, like, as he's leaving and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... And then kind of wrapping up with this idea of, you know, Lauren had to come back to realize he didn't have to come back to sort of confirm that his life decisions are actually good ones that like, he's really happy with the decisions that he's made and doesn't need to like, you know, worry about, you know, were they the right decisions or not, um, that, you know, we've talked about, that's a very Whedon thing of home being, more than just the place where you happen to be born um, or the people that you happen to be related to, but it can be sometimes more of an adopted thing. So, you know, Lauren 
loves LA because nobody belongs there and that makes him feel comfortable and sort of at home among all these other misfits. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously that kind of puts him in the same camp as uh, Angel and Cordy and Wesley and Gunn and every, that's sort of the thing they have in common is that none of them really belong anywhere else. Um, right. Yeah, so you get their sort of happy stroll, you know, off into the sunset kind of realizing like, oh, actually, we kind of like L.A. and it actually is a good place for people like us and everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even... You get the, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you get the serenade of Over the Rainbow, some more callbacks to... Yeah. Know. Well, um, and I was going to say when Angel, you know, wants to walk in and, and say, mm-hmm. there's no place like... And of course, yeah. he doesn't finish because yeah. he sees Willow, but um, another callback there. Yeah, yeah. But for Lorne, home is Over the Rainbow because... You know, sure. Pylea is sort of his Kansas. And right. he kind of goes back and is like, yeah, I, I, I know I left here for a reason. Like, <laughs> right. These people are horrible and I don't like it here. Um, yeah. So he sort of is reconfirmed to go back to his own sort of fantasy land and live out the dream. Um, yeah. So, sure. you know, calling back Wizard of Oz, but kind of like subverting it too. Or I guess that's more the original Wizard of Oz, isn't it? It's really only the movie that takes Dorothy sort of... The, there's no place like home and settling back in Kansas is sort of a movie thing. Um, but... She's from Kansas in the book. No, she is. But I think there's less of the sense in the book of being content to go back. Um, oh, yeah. Whereas I believe yeah, in the I books... I see what you're saying. Do you see what I say? Like, like Oz kind of becomes her home in a way. Um, or there's not that sense of, uh, you know, yeah. wishing you were back where you started. So I feel like Lauren kind of is more in that spirit of, you know, he, he found his Oz and he's sort of happy to stay there. Gotcha. Um... Yeah, and then Willow shows up at the very end. Um, And, you know, obviously it doesn't, they don't talk. There's no need to sort of, you know, it's more powerful to sort of just end on, you know, Willow's face because we know what happened and, you know, her face kind of tells you everything that you need to know and Angel even sort of knows immediately kind of, has an inkling of yeah maybe not exactly uh, but that something is seriously wrong something tragic something bad um so yeah um Yeah. yeah so i wasn't necessarily expecting that either but that totally makes sense that they would sort of have it tied together at the end that he would sort of get this news and everything yeah 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 and of course it remains to be seen how that affects him and the team mm-hmm. in future episodes and seasons. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, well we're kind of went a little early, but, um, I think that's okay. Um, all right. We'll, so we'll be back 
right, with some recaps over the next couple episodes. And then um, maybe you just wanted to give a little preview that starting with, you know, so there's um, starting with the next seasons is when Buffy uh, moves to a different network, to UPM. Um, Uh So along with that, we get some weirdness in the actual episode um, air dates. So, for example, um, the beginning of Angel Season 3 actually is like two weeks in advance of um, Buffy's uh, season premiere. Mm. So, um, also, (laughs) um, what's interesting is Buffy actually returns on the same night and time, just a different station. Um, Mm -hmm. But Angel moves nights and time. So they're no longer (laughs) airing sort of one right after the other where you have Buffy followed by Angel. Angel actually uh, moves to Monday nights where um, it airs, you know, a day before the Buffy episode. So Mm -hmm. um, we, what we're doing, um, you know, we're still going to follow sort of the um, air date, um, you, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, for example, um, we'll go ahead and when we start up with Angel again, after our recap episodes, we'll, we'll do two episodes on Angel, um, followed by two episodes on Buffy because there's actually the season premiere of Buffy, uh, season six is, uh, a double one. Um, but you know, yeah. we'll, we'll take two weeks to talk about it. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there for our listeners so that um, it may not, it, it's not going to be as straightforward all the time of back and forth, Buffy, Angel, Buffy, Angel. Um, there are going to be some weeks um, where we'll talk about, you know, multiple sort of Buffy episodes in a row or multiple Angel episodes in a row. Um, yeah. You know, but it'll, it'll all work out sort of in the end. Uh, and the reason we wanted to do that is even though there's not, like a ton of story crossover from here and there. There are a few things um, where it might, might be important to just make sure that it happens sort of in the right order. So um, we'll follow that sort of air date uh, order and, and hopefully it won't be too confusing, but we'll try to try to make sure we, we remind folks as we're going along of what we're, uh, you know, what we're going to look at next. Yep. Sounds like a plan. All right. Cool. All right. See you then.